What's up, guys? Episode 37 is here, week 12 of the NFL season as well. Happy Thanksgiving from the guys at Teddy Talk. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday episode of the show. Plenty of games on Thursday before the weekend games in on Sunday. Got some NFL discussion, lots of news to talk about after last week in the NFL. The good and the bad from week 11. And of course, Rapid Fire. Follow us on social media at Teddy Talk and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let's roll. This is Darren Waller and you're listening to the Tutty Talk Podcast. Streaming from beautiful Portland, Oregon for all things fantasy football. This is the Tutty Talk Podcast. Barkley with a burst. Barkley down the sideline. Saquon Barkley. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankles. He did what? It's a C-Mac attack. I'm really not into dreams anymore, okay? I'm into nightmares. A lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. You like that? You like that? Here are your hosts, Bryce Wells. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna put you on blast. Kevin Nelson. It's a damn shame because Pete Carroll is wasting Russell Wilson and there's nothing we can do about it. And Chase Daskalos. No! Lamar Jackson is gonna be a top five quarterback. All right, week 12 of the NFL season is here. Like two weeks to go in fantasy football before the playoffs in most leagues where you got weeks 14, 15, and 16. Hopefully as those weeks to play. Nobody playing on week 17. Fingers crossed. Again, happy Thanksgiving from all of us to you. Hope you're safe, happy, healthy. All those things. Kevin, Bryce, and Chase for this episode. Let's start with Bryce in Portland. What's up, dude? Doing great as usual. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to everybody this week. Uh... You know, COVID surprises us every single week with roster decisions. This week, it's it's J.K. Dobbins and and actually sounds like a, quite a few of uh, of the Ravens players. So that kind of sucks. We're big Dobbins fans over here. But uh, besides that, uh, it's been pretty great, pretty good week. Can't wait to get this going. What's up, Chase? Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, fun slate. Three games on Thursday. The usual Thanksgiving days make some fun for some DFS and a little Thursday action, and then. And then the slate on Sunday, too, so excited for Week 12. can't remember when they added it, but adding the Thursday night game to the Thursday slate before it was like we didn't have Thursday night football and you got two games on Thursday and it was like a big deal. It felt like everything ended a little bit early for us West Coasters. So to have that late game, grab a drink, hitting that that turkey one more time, it's, it's a good time. So uh, we'll stay tuned for those games on Thursday. And good to pump this show out before you make any of those decisions before then. So let's jump right into it with some stuff from last week and our NFL discussion little roundtable here. The biggest news of the week, uh, Joe Burrow. Tore his ACL, tore his MCL, blew up everything in his knee. They're hoping he'll be ready for the start of the 2021 season. Uh, Pretty confident in that, they were saying. But uh, again, it's one of those traumatic injuries where he may not come back till halfway through the season. We don't know. Um, Don't know Joe Burrow's injury history. But I would say that this is probably the most traumatic injury he's had in his career. And and you just hate to see it for the number one pick in the Bengals that he was going to be battling with Justin Herbert for rookie of the year. And and that pretty much locked up for the Oregon Duck. Yeah, it really sucks, too, because Joe Burrow is QB 16 on the year. 
and was continuously trending upwards as the season went along. People are looking forward to next year as well in dynasty formats. Uh, this is a big deal when it comes to players like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, um, Joe Mixon if he returns, Gio, Gio Bernard. Um, and I saw some stuff about how people aren't really as concerned about Tyler Boyd with Ryan Finley, and I'm just here to clear that up. Ryan Finley is awful. He's probably one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. So I don't even feel confident playing Tyler Boyd this week despite the amount of volume he's gotten over this season. I think that if you have any ability to play a wide receiver at that position instead, I would look to do that. Um, I have got, I'm taking a gamble on a guy like Curtis Samuel this week in, in a league where I have Tyler Boyd. So it's tough. Uh, that's just how it goes. Um, he, he might be fine. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins might be fine. Um, but uh, it, this offense as a whole without Burrow, it, it's it's not looking good. So I'm trying to pivot to a different uh, player or players uh, if you have either one of those guys in this offense. Yeah, I'll never understand like when people say, like, oh, Ryan Finley helps Tyler Boyd. He'll lock on to him. Like, n- n- having a lesser of a quarterback in – and playing is not good for anyone. Obviously, less efficient, less red zone trips, shorter drives. You get the point. So that sucks. Uh, f- specifically about Burrow, though, I think it's kind of scary uh, that there is a legitimate shot that the Bengals could take a quarterback in the draft. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. What Burrow did to his knee is not good, and you have to have that franchise quarterback in the building around that piece right there. So I've been reading around, and I don't think it would shock anyone, honestly, in the franchise if they did draft quarterback. Oh, uh, kind of weird. Whoa, I think that would that would shock the football community. Maybe it wouldn't shock the Bengals, but wow, that'd be that'd be some big news. Um, Bryce, you kind of mentioned it in your intro, but running backs for the Baltimore Ravens, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, have tested positive for COVID. Placed on injured reserve, that COVID list. Uh, Gus Edwards is the guy you got to go get. And who knows? They could, you know, test again tomorrow, the next day, before the game, good to go. I don't know how that really works. <laughs> um, but we'll see. In the meantime, Gus Edwards is the only running back there, and he needs to be on your team. If you are needing to replace one of those guys, you probably weren't starting one of them or any running back. I mean, everybody's pretty running back needy this time of the year. So uh, definitely worth going and picking up Gus. Gus has played really well when Mark Ingram is not on the field. Um, I Going into this week before the COVID news, I was preparing myself to play J.K. Dobbins um, despite uh, playing Pittsburgh. Uh, we saw what he did to Pittsburgh last time. He played them 15 carries, 113 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, but um, definitely ran over one of the best defenses in the league. Now that you can't do that, uh, Gus Edwards is obviously the play. But, yeah, I was feeling really confident about playing him. It was another 15-touch uh, game. It's hard to decipher the backfield when all three of them are there. But I felt like after this last week, in a, in a pretty pretty big game, uh, a game that the the Ravens uh, probably should have won, um, he, he did really well. And I know Tennessee has kind of sacrificed a decent amount of points to running backs, but to me, this was kind of a little bit more of a sign that uh, Dobbins was taking over the backfield. So now you're just going to have to wait uh, a, another week or two. And he still may not have the lead on the backfield, but uh, after last week's game, it, I feel like that was kind of trending in that direction. 
So that that kind of sucks. But um, you know, I think now more than ever, there's more pressure on Harbaugh to make adjustments in that offense. I think that's pretty easy to see when you're when you're kind of watching these games and, and what they're doing to push the ball down the field. Uh, like I've been saying, they got to get the running backs more involved in the passing game. That's going to help Lamar out. That's going to help the whole offense out. And uh, they they just need uh, more action in open space because Mar- Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, he didn't do a whole, he didn't do anything actually this last week. So uh, they're they're struggling to find playmakers. And uh, Dobbins is a guy they need on the field. So we have to wait a little bit before we see that. But I expect them to start playing him a lot more. Uh, given given the, the situation that their team's facing uh, record-wise. I think Justice Hill is actually a really good stash, too. He's 100% on waivers uh, because you don't know how long these guys are going to be on the COVID list. You'd assume a week. Uh, Reichwell Armstead for Jacksonville is like missing the entire season with COVID. Uh, Trent Brown, Raiders offensive line, he's been on the COVID list for three weeks. And if Dobbins and Mark Ingram miss a continuous amount of time we know that the Ravens backfield isn't just going to be one guy it's split every single week between Mark Ingram Dobbins and Gus Edwards to where in a very desperate spot I'm not I'm not going to play Justice Hill this week but say next week uh, two weeks J.K. Dobbins Mark Ingram still on the COVID list and it's Gus Edwards and Justice Hill I think in desperation spots you could be able to play Justice Hill maybe get nine, 10 touches, receptions. I've seen him on the field on third down. He's a good pass catcher. He's explosive. I really liked him coming out. He hasn't done shit, which has been unfortunate. And obviously when J.K. Dobbins got drafted, that absolutely killed what was left of Justice Hill. But I like grabbing him right now just because we know it's not going to be 100% Gus Edwards. Comp to Reggie Bush, too. You like that? Uh, Through 24 games, Terry McLaurin, 1,790 yards. Jerry Rice is... Uh, was on there at 1757. Uh, McLaurin has the 12th most receiving yards all time through 24 career games. Right behind him, fellow second year wide receiver DK Metcalf with 1762 receiving yards. Uh, obviously, a couple of different quarterbacks for those those two guys. That's the only thing holding Terry back is his quarterback play and what we've seen. What three, four, five different quarterbacks in two years for him at some point in the ball game for them, maybe maybe more in Washington. So he hope they can figure it out. Hope they can find a quarterback. And obviously wasn't Dwayne Haskins with Ron Rivera. So we'll see. I think that even with how shaky and inconsistent quarterback play has been for Terry, I think that's going to be the deciding factor in his career as as most great receivers are attached to a quarterback for a very long time or or a good chunk of time before they either go somewhere else or the team finally gets a guy in there. So uh, even with the poor start quarterback-wise, uh, incredible start statistically for Terry in the yards category. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, uh, it, it's too bad that Dwayne Haskins hasn't really panned out, but Alex Smith has, has kept him relevant, and, and Terry's doing well in fantasy this year. Uh, the question I have, you know, is Terry McLaurin an elite wide receiver or is it too soon to tell? Um, I think regardless of whether or not he's elite, he's he's clearly proving that he can thrive in a situation that doesn't involve an elite quarterback. Um, when we're talking about elite receivers, uh, I think a lot of people think about Hopkins or, or Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, guys like that. You know, Hopkins didn't have a, a quarterback for a really long time, and he still produced. We're seeing the same thing out of Terry. I think banking on Washington to make the right moves in the draft or uh, – just personnel wise is is kind of a gamble 
but I don't think it really matters a whole lot in this situation because I think we can we can we're we're right there on the cusp of just saying that Terry is elite. It's, he just hasn't played enough seasons. He's almost two seasons through his career, and he's he's putting up uh, really good numbers. So uh, you know, we I, I think about guys like Allen Robinson, where everybody was on the cusp of whether or not we were considering him to be an elite receiver. But he's another guy who has played with pretty pretty awful quarterbacks and, and still thrived in those situations. So uh, regardless of that, whether it's seasonal or dynasty, I think Terry McLaurin's going to be a, a solid receiver for, for many years to come. I'm not even sure that like a, a good quarterback would like elevate Terry McLaurin. So I think he's so good that he's quarterback proof and that like it doesn't – like Alex Smith is is competent, it, it, totally fine. Dwayne Haskins was bad, but like look at what he's done. Like through through twenty four career games, twelfth most receiving yards all time. That's that's insane. I don't really. I think he's quarterback proof. Like Terry McLaurin is that good of a wide receiver. Jonathan Taylor has a ninety six point three catch rate this season. Big bugaboo for him was uh, receiving out of the backfield. Big bugaboo for him might be vision. Might be just not adapting to the game very well. We had one of his better games as a NFL player last week against Green Bay. Uh, trending upward now? I don't know. But this just been a kind of a wash of a season for Jonathan Taylor. Um, still 16th in PPR leagues for running backs, which is fine. It's just the potential with Marlon Mack out after the first game. We saw a 19-point game uh, in that second game for Jonathan Taylor with 26 carries. After that, the carries seemingly evaporated. But this usage in the pass game has never left for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I think that uh, most people who are owners of Jonathan Taylor are trying to find something to cling on to, uh, whether it's faith or a stat that they can convince themselves that JT is going to be fine. And I think you know there was there's a lot been a lot of panic over JT the last couple of weeks. I think this is a good stat. This is this is a, a tangible stat that can carry over to the next season. Um, better quarterback play and, and just a healthier roster is gonna is gonna help his play. I, I don't want to say that he's a bust. It's it, I mean shit. He he's had one not even one season yet. There have been other running backs that have struggled through their first season or two seasons and then broken out their third year. And Jonathan Taylor is such a superior athlete that there's plenty of room to grow, right? And it's just one of those things where right now we're all very concerned about him, but. I think that's it's just a little premature. We just have to wait, you know. We have to continue playing him or not playing him and just watch what he's able to do on the field. Yeah, running backs are going to make some bad reads here and there. That that's going to happen. I maybe a string of bad reads, but uh, a lot of a lot of uh rookies can overcome that. I think that this is something that like I said, the 96.3% catch rate is what's going to help maintain value for him in fantasy. If if he is that successful in the passing game, it doesn't matter as much what he's doing on the ground as long as he's getting involved in the passing game. He, he's going to produce, and, and that's really the key stat here is passing game, running back, Jonathan Taylor, superior athlete. It's all going to work out. We just have to um, go into next season um, with a little bit higher expectations uh, give, given that he's probably going to be the lead back. Remember that learning curve discussion that we had like two weeks ago where, where people were like, oh, he's just learning curve. No, he needs time and have Right. So he just completely just learned how to run in the NFL. 
over a week, 22 carries, uh, four targets, four receptions, 114 total yards. He just had to get over that learning curve in a week. Mm -hmm. No, like, come on. We were saying be patient. This is what happens. He's been frustrating because apparently he was banged up. Uh, 15.4 fantasy points last week. It was a weird week for running backs, but RB 11, so 12 team league, whatever reason, RB one on the week. Like we saw this coming. We knew there was no learning curve there. The dude is one of the most prolific rushers in the history of NCAA football. Like he's a beast and being able to see him post this 96.3% catch rate. I think he had six or seven drops last year or in his college career on 55 targets or something like that. So his drop rate was insane in college and now he's completely flipped that so i mean you obviously cannot complain about a 96.3 percent catch rate he's averaging 12.3 fantasy points per game he's had four weeks where he's had single digit points in ppr leagues and three of them were back to back to back week eight week nine week ten that is where the narrative came from i i think he's fine too if you look at some of the games where he only had 12 carries there against cleveland cincinnati even chicago 17 carries 12 carries 12 carries if you give him a full workload, if you don't have Phillip Rivers in this offense, you don't have Jordan Wilkins, and you don't have Naheem Hines, he's over 100 yards. He's, he has 60 yards in those 12 carry games. What more do you fucking want from the guy in those games? And then he's involved in the pass game too. We've seen him get taken out of the game when they get on the goal line. This is just like rookie treatment to me. And 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 just disregard for the who the best player on the field is because it seems like every week he blows some D end off his feet or he drives through two, two cornerbacks and drags them for a first down. We know Jonathan Taylor's good, okay? And I'm saying this because I have him in pretty much every fucking league across all formats, across all apps, but it's frustrating that we have this three-week window where maybe he's banged up and playing through an injury and he's not on the injury report and his quarterback's Phillip Rivers and his head coach has his head up his ass with a huge running back group and Jonathan Taylor all of a sudden is a must-sell you can't play him anymore because of his situation I only see that getting better with the offensive line and them getting a quarterback in the future here's another thing that's kind of wild RB 16 he's RB 16 on the air as a rookie who hasn't played that well on a team with a really old quarterback who can't really throw the ball that well. Um, so it's just like, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, it, I, I, I kind of do agree with the rookie treatment. And, and most likely next season, you know, I, I'm assuming they keep Naeem Hines around. They, they run Jonathan Taylor and they keep Naeem Hines. And, and Jordan Wilkins is gone. I think it's going to be a uh, – there are going to be two running backs in that backfield. Jonathan Taylor is going to get the bulk. It's just insane. You know, Jonathan Taylor, three less points than DeAndre Swift, which is a guy we've been piping up on here, a guy everybody loves. You know, three less points. That's where we're at. Um, obviously, uh, Swift missed uh, the game last week, but it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there's just it's, – it's crazy that uh, the media and, and analysts in general just uh, over-exaggerate his situation to a point where – it's forcing people to panic, to 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 sell him. Um, I mean, I still am open to selling him to see what you can get, um, and I think we've stated that on here. Uh, but you you should be testing the market with a lot of guys. So, if we're talking dynasty, this is just a situation. This is this year's a wash, like you said, Kev. Let's move into next year, see some improvement, which we will, and, and we'll, we'll we'll look back on this whole conversation as a joke. When you look at touchdowns too, Naeem Hines has six. And just like strictly like looking at fantasy points, right? 15-something fantasy points per game. Top 20 running back. 
Naeem Hines, 5'9", 198, has six touchdowns. And Jonathan Taylor, who gets subbed out at the goal line, has four. And Jordan Wilkins has one. So they have 11 touchdowns on the ground, and Naeem Hines has over 50% of their touchdowns. Like, projecting forward, that's not sustainable. That's not what's going to happen. That's not how Jonathan Taylor should be treated. So, like, like next year, honest, I would expect Jonathan Taylor to have 60 70% of the team's touchdowns from the running back position. And, I mean, if that was happening this year, he's probably in inside the top 15, and he's averaging around 17, 18, 19 fantasy points per game. I say it all the time. You have to be lucky to be good. How many of Jonathan Taylor's touchdowns have been called back this year? Fuck, there were two in the last game. Two for the win last game against Green Bay. So, totally agree. We'll see. Fingers crossed for JT, but I don't think he's even going to need that. He's just a stud. Uh, On to Chase Claypool, who's the only wide receiver since the merger with 10-plus touchdowns in his first 10 career games. Look, I mean, they use him all over the place. They use him as a go guy. They use him as a, a end around. They use him on screens. They use him out of the backfield. They use him in the goal line. They use him in the red zone. It, the usage for him is exclusive in this offense that has two other really good receivers. And I would even say James Washington, who has high on to start the year. He's shown that he can make plays too. So uh, for their lack of running backs and usage, Chase Claypool is the red zone threat, even with. Eric Ebron, tight end red zone god of the past. Uh, Chase Claypool has taken that role from everybody, really in football. And there's so much conversation about who the wide receiver one is in Pittsburgh. Who the fuck cares? What? It's 1A, 1B with Deontay Johnson. And then you have Juju, who is still is still doing well, kind of dealing with a little bit of an injury, who's probably, probably going to be on a different team next year. We don't know that for sure, but assuming that he's on a different team, it doesn't matter who's the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh because they're going to have a new quarterback at some point that's going to shake things up a little bit. Um, but if we're talking about now, Chase Claypool is a must-play every week. He has, obviously, touchdown potential every single week and multiple touchdowns uh, potential every single week. So it, it, the the argument doesn't really make for a great conversation when we're talking about who who's the number one in, in Pittsburgh because it doesn't matter. Between him and Deontay Johnson, they're both going to score you – a solid amount of fantasy points every week, and, and Big Ben's uh, moving the ball around quite a bit. So, and doing pretty well with the with the ball, I might say. Yeah, Chase Claypool, solid guy. Keep playing him in seasonal dynasty is a weird conversation for him because I know a lot of people want to push him into the top five. I don't think he's there quite yet among the wide receiver rookies, but uh, he's flirting with it. That's for sure. So I say Deontay Johnson is the Pittsburgh wide receiver one. Just yeah. looking strictly at targets. In healthy games, where, where Deontay Johnson's played the entire game, 10 targets, 13 targets, 15 targets, 10 targets, 11 targets, 16 targets. That is absurd. That is absurd volume. And, like, I just kind of talked about Naeem Hines' touchdowns, kind of unsustainable. Basically, 10-plus touchdowns in his first 10 career games. That is not sustainable. Uh, kind of the regression guy looking at who should be scoring what based off their receiving yards and, and their targets and all that jazz. Like clearly, ten touchdown a touchdown a game. That that's just that's just not going to happen. Chase Claypool was a probably a th- second round pick in rookie drafts in, in one quarterback leagues. Third round pick. He went in the third round, I think, in our in our rookie draft. I, I think Juju's leaving Pittsburgh. So you have Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool there. So like, yes, he's 
sure one a one b kind of thing juju's gone he still has his value but honestly like i probably try to sell off of touchdown production and this insane amount of touchdown production i think i try to sell chase claypool as well as the fact like we don't know what big ben's doing in the future here in the next one or two years i wouldn't expect pittsburgh to like draft a quarterback i think they would kind of more in the market to like replace big ben with a veteran and continue to contend with the defense that they have uh but again like we don't know you can't you can't project that but my argument there was kind of like chase claypool's young big ben's say big big ben's gone and now you've sold chase claypool off of his insane 10 touchdown pace where you got him as a third round pick now you sell him for a first plus i mean i don't know what people people want I like him, but that. if i was getting a big return for him i would sell chase claypool yeah I in like dynasty it. seasonal freaking rat him out yeah you didn't, nobody even drafted chase claypool in seasonal nope nope flex him or wide receiver two whatever you gotta do um Takes us right into the good and the bad for last week. The good. Tight end. Quarterback. Running back. Wide receiver. But last week, quarterback. Uh, Taysom Hill. Team for 233 yards. 10 carries. 51 yards. Two scores. And a fumble late. He won the week for a lot of people. I, I posted on social media. I was like, hey, did Taysom Hill beat you? Um, I think 23% of people said yes. I think it happened in more leagues because having that extra boost at tight end, if not Travis Kelsey, he was the best tight end um, in a lot of leagues. And if you're playing two quarterbacks, you got to play three with Taysom Hill in there. So don't get to do that anymore on ESPN this week, unfortunately for you Taysom Hill owners. But if you got him in a two quarterback league, you probably don't have a number two quarterback that's going to be better than this rushing upside you have from week to week. I think it's funny too, because there's going to be a lot of people rushing to play Taysom Hill uh, as their starting quarterback. And, I, I, you know, what he did last game was great. I'm not taking anything away from what Taysom, Taysom Hill did. But it wasn't like it was that impressive. It, it, it's coming on the ground. He had two touchdowns rushing, right? He had a fumble as well. Uh, I think the one thing that I'm most surprised about is how he was able to keep Michael Thomas relevant. Um, I mean, shit, Michael Thomas went over 100 yards. We were kind of bashing him last week, except for Kevin was pretty high on trading for him. So that uh, is is an interesting thing to consider because I don't think Drew Brees has got a shot at coming back this year. Maybe maybe he does, but but at this moment, you know, Taysom Mill is going to be the guy uh, at the helm for the Saints. Um, I mean, do you think that Taysom Hill is improved this offense by any means? I'm asking both of you this question because. I I, I want to say yes. I mean, you have a guy that it can actually throw the ball down the field. Maybe not, uh, maybe not that well, but it's definitely definitely better than what Drew Brees has been doing. I, I think uh, it's interesting that Alvin Kamara didn't get uh, one reception last week uh, because of Taysom Hill. So I think it affects Kamara a little bit more. But I think it's it's interesting to consider when it, we're talking about uh, Michael Thomas and Taysom Hill. And what it means for that team? Uh, do you think the offense is, is better than it was with Drew Drew Brees? No. Here's why: Alvin Kamara is the best player on on that Saints team. What is Alvin Kamara best at? Is Alvin Kamara a running back? No. I remember two weeks ago I went up against him in fantasy and he scored three touchdowns. He had 15 rushing yards and he scored like 30 fantasy points uh, because rushing he actually got rushing touchdown by like 15 yards the fact that alvin kamara had his first career game the best player on the saints offense first career game without recording a reception 
which he is best at, that is Alvin Kamara's bread and butter. I argue there is no way that Taysom Hill, sure, they won the game, but there's no way that that offense runs better with Alvin Kamara not touching the ball through the air. They beat Atlanta, too. So, good warm-up game for him, but you have to get Alvin Kamara the ball. I totally agree, Chase. Um, And maybe he was a little dinged up. They said that there was maybe an injury going on there. Latavius Murray got a a ton of the carries, too. I think he actually ended up with more carries than Kamara in the game. Uh, So, overall, just more touches for Latavius Murray in that game. Uh, Unfortunate for Kamara, but could get back on track this week. Uh, to the bad, Matthew Stafford, 18 for 33, 178 yards, four carries, five yards, sacked five times. The Lions got shut out, and I said it in rapid fire last week. I didn't like the matchup uh, for fantasy with Teddy Bridgewater maybe out, P.J. Walker coming in. Uh, the Lions were without Galladay and Swift. Their two best players, and Swift was hot, and, and they laid an egg. They dropped the goose egg uh, in Carolina. Stafford's got a thumb thing going on. They were rolling the ball back to him from from the gun. It, it was just a horrible night uh, for the Lions, and Matt Patricia's on his way out the door. Has to be. You can't put up zero points against the Carolina Panthers, dude. That's so bad. Um, Matt Patricia should have been fired a few weeks ago. This is most undoubtedly his last year as an NFL head coach. He may never be a head coach again in the league, he might be a coordinator somewhere, but as for for running a team, I'm not seeing not seeing a whole lot with Matt Patricia anymore. Uh, and I, you know what? I don't blame anything. Um, I don't blame Matt Stafford at all uh, whatsoever. You know, when you don't have your best receiving option, your best running back, it's it's pretty hard to succeed in that offense. I I would say, and and like you said, thumb injury is definitely playing. Uh, playing into effect here, I think if if we're if we're talking about Swift for this week and Matt Stafford for this week, I think obviously it's going to be better as long as Swift is playing. It doesn't sound like Galladay is going to play this week on Thursday, but if uh, if Swift can get past the concussion protocol, I think he is going to be a, a smash play uh, for Week Twelve on Thanksgiving. What a disappointing year for for Matt Stafford. Kenny Galladay has been been banged up and obviously we didn't have the year we expected for Kenny Galladay his offensive line's been terrible sacked five times but number 23 in fantasy points per game uh he was being drafted as a lot of people's favorite maybe guy at 11 or 12 or 13 in ADQB ADP with kind of the upside in the ceiling that people projected that he was a guy that could finish in the top five he had his best fantasy points per game uh last year and then he unfortunately got hurt, and it just hasn't it hasn't came to fruition for Matt Stafford this year, and it's it's been a bummer. It's been a bummer for Kenny Galladay too. Yeah, not having Galladay, I think, is is a huge part of that. We we liked Galladay. I think he was easily in our top ten. There were rumblings of him being a top three wide receiver in fantasy with how this team was going to be playing from behind and how great Stafford finished, like you said, Chase, uh, in twenty nineteen. So uh, all around bummer for Detroit. Not like they're not used to that. On to running backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire on Sunday night against the Raiders. 14 carries, 69 yards, two touchdowns, had one catch for eight yards. Well, his, his usage in the passing game is, was the only thing hyped about this guy and the perfect fit, and they're going to use him all this. Not really. I mean, there are plenty of backs that have been better in the passing game than Clyde this season, which is surprising to a lot of people. He's top five in rushing, I think, at fifth 
uh, in the NFL currently. This game was crazy. We're going to talk about this game, I think, a lot on the show later on. Um, but Clyde, even with the signing of Le'Veon Bell, I think obviously the touchdowns help in this in this case uh, with two of them. But he's been solid, and I think a lot of people were up oh, there goes Clyde as soon as Lev got signed, and it hasn't necessarily been that way. Yeah, I know we weren't like we've said this so many times. We weren't that high on Clyde coming into the draft, and he gets picked up by the Chiefs. He's been really good for the Chiefs this year, and really good for fantasy. You know, I if the like you said, the Lev coming in really spooks some people. Um, his snap share has gone down uh, since week seven, but uh, you know it's kind of funny. We so just to let everybody know, we had a bet um, the other night. We needed two touchdowns from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and two touchdowns from Josh Jacobs. We got one from each of them in the first quarter. We got a second one from Clyde, and then Josh Jacobs had four different opportunities to punch it in for us to win a hundred bucks, and it just never happened. So that was kind of a bummer. But back to Clyde. I mean, he's a top ten running back. What else is there to say? He's 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 going to be fine. He, uh, he I still think is is very relevant in the passing game, just not finding the end zone through that. Um, and he's getting he's getting a, a decent amount of carries on this team. So there's nothing to worry about to, with Clyde. There, he, he deserves to be the good uh, running back this week. Uh, this was his best week so far this year. So uh, you know. Things are looking up for Clyde, and and uh, you're never not going to play him on the Chiefs' offense. So I have Le'Veon Bell kind of across the board in, in quite a few dynasty leagues. And on the Lev Bell, the KC news, I tried really hard to sell Le'Veon on that spike because obviously he was dead in the water in New York. And I, I mean, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried to sell him. Nobody bit. Uh, three games with Kansas City, the best offense in the NFL, maybe even historically. Le'Veon Bell has 77 yards. He's put up 77 yards in three games total. Total. Not a single game with double-digit touches. Fantasy points-wise, 6.8, 1.3, and 10.6. The only reason he got 10.6, 10.6 was against the Raiders. He walked in a touchdown off the left side. Like, the dude, he looks terrible. He looks... I know he's a patient runner and he's never been that speed kind of guy. He is dusty and mm-hmm. there's no worry, no worry about, about Clyde. People thought maybe Le'Veon was going to steal some, some passing work. Like he was going to be like a third down back. Uh, that just doesn't really make sense, but three targets, one target, one target. Like he's, he's unplayable clearly. And it's it's the Clyde show, and that's how it that's how it should be. Clyde, the zippy, quick, bursty running back, and then Lev gets in, and like you said, Chase, quote unquote, his patient running style. No, you could just call that slow now. It's okay. Like, that's <laughs> that's what he is. Uh, the bad running back, also slow. Todd Gurley, eight carries, twenty six yards, two catches for three yards. This Atlanta offense was anemic. They were bad. I thought that with Marshawn Lattimore out and Taysom Hill in the game, I thought Matt Ryan was going to perform a hell of a lot better. He threw a couple of picks, one before the half, sucked. Julio had a hamstring going on the whole time. Matt Ryan was under pressure the whole time. The Saints D, I think, scored 17 points. They just shut down the run game, played from ahead the whole time, forced Matt Ryan to make bad decisions, and and Todd Gurley was 
phased right out of this game. They never had a chance to score from the goal line, and they just looked bad. It was a, another classic Atlanta game where they get down and their quarterback can't throw them back into the game. You could argue that it's because the best wide receiver isn't on the field or wasn't at 100%, but uh, all-around bad day for Atlanta. Yeah, big shocker that uh, when Todd Gurley doesn't find the end zone that uh, you know he doesn't really do a, do a whole lot. And, well, there you go. He didn't do a whole lot. Uh, he, he's obviously touchdown dependent. We've hammered that home. Um, he gets Vegas next week, so that could be promising for him. But Las Vegas looks pretty damn good, so... I don't know the outcome for Todd Gurley for the rest of the year um, because after Vegas he gets New Orleans, then the Chargers, then Tampa Bay, and then KC to finish out the season. Um, and that, like you said, the offense looks anemic, uh, especially without Julio Jones. It, it's a problem if that offense can't move the ball because then Todd Gurley is just not going to see the carries. 36% snap share, eight carries, 26 yards. That's that's not good. Um, I don't know if that's just means he's trending down at this point, but it it's uh, it, it's becoming harder to play Todd Gurley week in and week out. I know this is his first bad week in the over the last four weeks, but uh, when they start playing better defenses, I think it's just going to get harder. And, and if he, like I said, if he's not finding the end zone, he is basically not playable. Gurley has one game this year where he's totaled over 100 yards. That was against Carolina in Week 5, who this year is the easiest matchup for fantasy running backs. Uh, in the games where he hasn't scored a touchdown, 6.1 fantasy points, 9.7, and 3.9. Unplayable. This is why, honestly, like going back to earlier in the show, this is why I worry about a guy like Chase Claypool who scored 10 touchdowns. It's kind, it's kind of the same, kind of the same thing here, where like without the touchdowns, what is what is Todd Gurley? And he's unplayable at 3.9, 9.7 and 6.1 points. I ain't playing him. Yeah. Like, mm. looking back at last year too, and we know Todd Gurley, uh, the situation with his knees and, and health, a huge red flag, uh, whenever playing him, drafting him, whatever it may be in the second half of last season. Well, for one, he, he didn't have a game over hundred yards in the whole season, but, he had here's his last four games. He played Seattle, Dallas, San Francisco, Arizona. 79 yards on 23 carries, 20 yards on 11 carries, 48 yards on 15 carries, and 68 yards on 20 carries. Um, in the past game, he had four catches, three catches, zero, and two. The only reason why those games were good, he had four touchdowns <laughs> in the last four games of the season. So if again, if you take away the touchdowns, and in this offense that is so subject to whatever defense they play against and get behind uh, because their defense is so poor, they're throwing their way back. His, his game script is so volatile that he's immediately phased out. And there could be, uh, this could be just a sign that he's running out of gas. Uh, you look at his score. Oh, he said the same thing last year. That's true. That is very true. I, I'm just trying and to. the year before that. I'm just trying to look at his, you know, I'm looking at his last three games and and it's just the amount of carries has gone down his snap share has gone down um and it's not like those those matchups weren't exactly favorable like once again he found the end zone uh four times in the last four weeks so <laughs> and and that's not counting or and that's counting this last week with nothing on the board so i, I don't know i maybe he isn't running out of juice i just think that 
it, it's going to be harder for him to succeed in fantasy uh, in the next uh, in in the next four weeks. Touchdowns are obviously such a huge stat to in fantasy. Six points for him, uh, and like I don't want to go back to Chase Chase Claypool here, but I was just looking at his game log. We're talking about like touchdowns with Gurley, like keeping a guy afloat. The the last four weeks, uh, Chase Claypool nine targets against Baltimore, nine targets, 42 yards, but he gets a touchdown. Week nine, 13 targets, 69 yards. Week 10, 10 targets, 42 yards. Week 11, eight targets, 59 yards. And the same things for Todd Gurley. You know? that, He's getting... Right. That, like, that's, the, that's the similarities there between me. That's like... Dude, 42, 69, 42, and 59 tar- yards on 9, 13, 10, and 8 targets. That's like screaming red flags to me where a guy is literally just being upheld by by touchdown. Sure, the volume's there. That's 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 really good. I do think Deontay Johnson, like I talked about, is that team's wide receiver one. So now all, all of a sudden, these touchdowns go away from Todd Gurley. These touchdowns go away from a guy like Chase, Chase Claypool. That there's almost no floor there. Scary. I don't know. I not the big, not a big Todd Gurley guy. I think he has lost his juice. Moving on to wide receivers, player of the week in fantasy football for us, Keenan Allen. 16 catches, 145 yards, and a touchdown on 19 targets from Justin Herbert. Look, uh, we were wrong. I'm gonna say it. Keenan Allen, uh, currently third, I think, in fantasy points um, in a lot of our sleeper leagues. And God, if you have him in a PPR, you're loving that. Um, did, it was really rested on Justin Herbert being successful quarterback in the NFL. And from what we saw in college and what we saw with Tyrod and that murky situation in L.A., it did not look good for Keenan Allen. But Justin Herbert has blown all expectations out of the water. He is the rookie of the year quarterback in the NFL. And Keenan Allen is the number one beneficiary of all that, having a outstanding season, totally healthy, totally fine, and and the most slept-on receiver in football Uh does it again a huge week for him his best week of the season and i was higher on keenan allen than than kevin and chase but i in no way shape or form believed that justin herbert was going to be as successful as he is and now that that's came into fruition it's a lot easier for me to take a victory lap but i you know (laughs) it's insane that keenan allen has two games this year with 19 targets um and only let's see one two three games under 10 targets Uh, that that is just absolutely ridiculous there's not really much to say here kind of like with Clyde like we know we know Keenan Allen's really talented he's first in targets first in reception second and this is the stat that kind of shocked me second in yards after catch I I I mean he's not a phenomenal athlete he's a little bit older uh he's 28 um, but second in yak was pretty surprising to me. It's probably because of the amount of targets that he's receiving every game. But uh, sixth in red zone targets, seven out of ten games with ten or more targets. Like I said earlier, he's insane. He is probably winning uh, a lot of people leagues this year. He, you know, he was a guy that you could have drafted uh, in the middle rounds. That it's just wild that he's been able to produce the way he has and, and put himself into the top ten. Um, I don't think there's any way we could have foreseen Herbert uh, being this this talented in the league. This is what you do with incredible volume. You do what Keenan Allen's doing and hasn't found the end zone. It seems like 
for the amount, like the amount of targets, uh, number one in targets, number one in receptions, hasn't found the end zone that much. The second in yak thing is absolutely uh, just based off the fact that he's number one in receptions and yep. he has so many receptions to turn into yak yards. I try to pull it up, but it take a little bit to to dig through uh, data analysis on playerprofile.com. Look up um, yards after the catch per reception because he, I don't think he's he's in there. He's not that explosive athlete it's funny when you look at his profile as a third round pick uh he ran a 471 which is the seventh percentile and he has a 22nd percentile speed score it doesn't matter the dude is an absolute baller best route runner in the league one of the best hands in the league and with justin herbert balling which we really didn't expect why we were kind of so low on on keenan was not a knock on keenan it was tyrod taylor the fact that with that the Chargers defense, who is now completely banged up, lost Drew and James again. Joey Bosa's been out. Uh, we're supposed to run the ball a shit ton. Uh, Austin Eckler's been out. I know he's a pass catcher, but they also ran the ball a lot to Austin Eckler. So it's all kind of formulated to Keenan Allen, 16 receptions, 145 yards, and a touchdown, 19 targets. That seems like a weekly thing. Like I, I don't see a week where Keenan Allen is going to have like less than, than 15 targets. And he gets insane. He gets Buffalo, then New England, then Atlanta, then Las Vegas, and then finishes with Denver. He he ain't slowing down from weeks twelve through sixteen. It'll be interesting to see. You bring up Austin Eckler. He's supposed to yeah. come back maybe this week, maybe next. Yeah. Um, totally different offense with Phillip Rivers dumping it to Austin Eckler as to what we're seeing with Justin Herbert driving the ball down the field and and just getting the ball to playmakers. Um but a nice piece for that offense uh, that they haven't had all year to the bad Marquise Brown goose, no catches, no yards, three targets. We talked about it last week on the show and said, Hey, he's, he's a guy that you can maybe go grab off waivers. If somebody drops him, I, I still like that. You know, this is the ultimate buy low in seasonal and a, and a stash for the playoffs in case something miraculous happens in Baltimore, but uh, a tough matchup against Tennessee and, and a kind of grindy grimy game. And, Look, it's just bad right now. Lamar is unable to find him deep. He's unable to find anybody really in this offense besides Mark Andrews last week. Uh, for God's sakes, they're throwing a Des Bryant. So there's not a lot of help for Hollywood, I think, in this offense um, when the best receiver is a tight end for Lamar. I think the offense uh, obviously needs uh, another receiver, but it's kind of shocking to me that Hollywood doesn't, log a reception this last week and hasn't really done anything this year and I have started to question whether or not it's more on Hollywood um, and that's not even really all of his fault I think he's just he's a small guy he's really fast and he's really light and um, and those guys need complementary pieces in offense to to succeed and you know I I like Hollywood Brown I don't know if I like him with Lamar Jackson I think that there's been some talk about Lamar not being the best passer, and I think that if you watch these games, that that that's kind of true. But Lamar's also improved, every, you know, improved a decent amount in, in the league every year that he's been here, and he hasn't been in here that long. So I don't know what I'm doing with Hollywood and Dynasty. I think that I'm not in love with him. If I could trade him for for something, a, a second round pick or anything like that. I, I would probably do it. I, he's just not a cornerstone receiver that I want to build around or a, a guy that I want to flex because I don't know if he's ever going to see 
those incredibly high ceiling games like he did in year one, um, and that was here and there, and that wasn't coming off of a lot of receptions in general. I, with Mark Andrews being the number one option in the passing game, I think that's just kind of points more towards the fact that they clearly need another receiver, an alpha receiver that's a bigger body that that uh, you know isn't going deep that often. I just think it's a tough it's a tough um, combo between Lamar and Hollywood because they're both they both have attributes to their game that one uh, they can't really control and, and two just need to improve on. So I think you know if you're if you're a, a Marquise Brown owner. I, I think he's worth dropping in seasonal. I, I really do. I don't think you're going to really find a week that you're going to want to play him. Um, it's going to be more a desperation play. But um, that's just how I feel about it, and, and maybe I'm overreacting. But I think I think I feel pretty good about my take on Hollywood. Yeah, I don't think you're overreacting. It, it sucks because of the skill match between Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown. Just It isn't there, uh, obviously, with the deep balls. Yeah offensive line issues as well those routes they, they have no time to develop uh Lamar's inaccurate on, on top of that I really thought that he would be more so more of a focal point in the offense in manufactured touches as well because of how explosive the guy is talk about a freaking offseason narrative about oh Hollywood Brown put on 20 pounds this guy's gonna be a freak he's Holly or he's Tyreek Hill light like yeah, look at that now. Like that's insane. The dude has been horrific. You goose egg. This guy is a first round pick. He's a first receiver off the board. He's taken before Nikhil Harry. He was taken before DK Metcalf, before AJ Brown. Like you, you name it. I just think that the Ravens, it's the Ravens are six and four, and they play the 10 and 0 Steelers on Thursday night. The Ravens are gonna going to be six and five. They're gonna lose that game. I probably missed the playoffs. Like that—that that is wild. They—they they need to get this thing figured out. Honestly, for Thursday uh, DFS, I'm going to be playing Hollywood Brown again. I played him in tournaments last week. That really paid off with his big old goose egg. Uh, but for Thursday, I think his ownership is going to be really, really low. With Dobbins, with Mark Ingram out, they have to get the ball to playmakers to beat to beat Pittsburgh. There has been no intent to like force feed him the ball uh, because he's just been running these deep routes and Lamar's been missing him. So I agree with you, Bryce in seasonal, like you're not overreacting. What is he worth? When are you going to start him? Are you going to start him in the playoffs? You're going to start a guy who just goosed in the playoffs who has a floor of zero. So I was saying pick him up last week. It sucks. I thought he was going to do something against Tennessee, and if he did, then you could flip him. But like, I'm off. I'm off on Hollywood for like playing him, and I can't. I could not play him in a fantasy playoff game. On to tight end, and a guy that we are all on, Darren Waller, friend of the show, seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, he was fantastic in this game. Showed his George Kittle esque. I mean, he he moved. Honey Badger right out of the way on a couple different plays. Explosive, quick, fast, you name it. He's everything you want in a tight end. We were talking about it while we were watching the game. Chase, obviously, big Raiders fan. and um, I remember saying the the only bummer about Darren Waller is his age. Does that matter very much for tight end? No, they they hang on and play in the year forever. Look at the other tight end that got a touchdown in the game, Jason Witten, um, for the Raiders. But Darren Waller is top two i would say right now and and not to george kittle's fault 
uh, with the injury, but uh, it was a pretty great display of tight end work on Sunday night with him and Travis Kelsey. And yeah, if, you, if you've got Darren Waller, you're feeling really good. Uh, another big week for him. Waller has already scored more touchdowns than he did all of last year. Um, does he deserve to be in the big three tight end conversation? That's my question to you guys. I think so. I, I, yeah. Right. He's, he's a, two, he's a wide two. receiver. He's two. <laughs> he's two. Kelsey Over Kittle Waller. Kelsey Waller. Kelsey Waller. Kittle's hurt all the time. Doesn't have a quarterback. Yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. the Niners. Sure. I I mean, right. it's hard to, it's hard to put Waller ahead of, of Kittle for me, but I think that you have a sound argument in the, the quarterback conversation. I mean, I, I guess Nick Mullins did kind of make, keep him relevant last last year when Jimmy G was hurt, um, but yeah, Waller is the primary target. I, I mean, does does Las Vegas draft another wide receiver? I don't know. I mean, they grabbed two of them uh, with Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs. So Darren Waller kind of seems like a lock for uh, multiple receptions every week and always has t- a touchdown potential. And if the Raiders continue to play this well. I think you kind of have to put put them in the conversation. Like I just, I don't think it's that actually that difficult anymore. I think he's top three. I'd rather have him than Mark Andrews. I know yeah. there's quite a bit bit of an age gap there, but like we mentioned, yes, he's a tight end. On top of the fact, I think I've said this multiple times. This is like his third year, like actually playing in the NFL. He really doesn't have the wear and tear of a 27, 28 year old. Uh, because like he was practice wide receiver practice squad for Baltimore, and then John Gruden saw him in a scrimmage or whatever, and was like, "I want that guy." And now he's doing what he's doing. Phenomenal story. Seems like a great guy. Friend of the show, Darren Waller. Mm. And, and people always kind of ask, "Well, who's the Raiders wide receiver one? Is it Nelson Aguilar right now?" Uh, Henry. There's another guy, goose egg, just like just like Hollywood Brown, same build, speed guy, deep guy. Uh, I. Didn't like Henry Ruggs, and of course he went to the Raiders, so I had to trick myself into liking Henry Ruggs. Now he's the <laughs> same kind of guy as Marquise Brown, where they're just they got goose egg in their floors, and those are the guys that you avoid in rookie drafts. Justin Jefferson went four or five picks after Henry Ruggs went in our Buffalo Dip, Dip League rookie draft, and just because of draft capital, uh, clearly looking back now, Justin Jefferson's a top 10 dynasty wide receiver. Henry Ruggs is outside the top 30, 40. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild to say, uh, actually. Anyways, rambling about that. Yeah, Darren Waller, top top three guy. Absolute vacuum. Going forward for the Raiders, uh, we all really like Brian Edwards, the prospect of Brian Edwards. He hasn't done anything this year. He's been injured. Nelson Aguilar is kind of balling out. Uh, what I think, well, I was thinking about driving home from work uh raiders signing if they have the cap one of the bigger uh unrestricted free agents and the guy i was thinking about was chris godwin i think chris godwin in las vegas with john gruden in that offense to upgrade at the wide receiver position would be unbelievable i don't think they address that position in the draft i think they draft defense um I don't think they draft quarterback. Derek Carr's looked phenomenal, but I think maybe a Juju. I what don't know what the uh, Raiders' cap space is, but I think one of those big names is coming to Las Vegas. What about a guy like uh, Michael Gallup? Mm. Is he too similar to Ruggs in the sense that he's more of a field stretcher, or do you think that 
um, he may not draw a high price tag, and they could, and he's still really good. I mean, he's got a thousand yard season under his belt. It seems redundant. With I don't know what they're going to do with Nelson Aguilar, but like Nelson Aguilar has been phenomenal for mm-hmm. the Raiders, and I think him and Gallup would kind of play the same type of role. And you're not going to have to pay Nelson Aguilar. I don't know. I think I would just. I want like. I think the Raiders want the guy. They want a guy. Mm-hmm. They want their guy, number one right receiver. That isn't Darren Waller, who's a tight end. And honestly, too, I don't think that like murders Darren Waller's value. We said he's top three, but now I'm saying that a, a top unrestricted free agent is going to come to Vegas. Darren Waller is still that guy. We know how murky the tight end position is. I don't think if a Godwin or a Juju goes to Vegas that they're just like, oh, no, nope, we were wrong on Waller. He's got to be outside the top five now because he's going to lose so many targets. Especially it's such a valuable they... position. Yeah. Especially if they draft receiver, you know, then it's not very often does a rookie wide receiver come in and make a huge splash and start taking Mm -hmm. away from guys that have already, you know, established, especially a tight end like Waller. So I think that almost elongates the process of Waller being a stud in Dynasty for even longer while that receiver develops. Now, if they make that free agency move, we've seen him do it in the past. They went and traded for AB uh, to get that superstar type of guy. I think that's very realistic of happening. And again, we don't know the cap. I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me, yeah. but that seems like a much better fit for a win now Las Vegas team that we've already mm-hmm. seen grow so much in the last season that they're ready to contend in the AFC. They've shown that they can hang with the Chiefs. Nobody else can. They're a team I really like right now. And I'm, the I'm a little worried about, oh, sorry. I'm no, a little worried good. about Brian Edwards because, like you said, the, the Raiders, Gruden wanted wanted Antonio Brown. He wanted somebody this year to play that Antonio Brown role where there was going to be rugs, whether it's going to be Brian Edwards. He's been banged up, but he's healthy now. And he's playing like one or two snaps, three snaps a game. And they especially bring him out on run plays where it's literally just Darren Waller and Brian Edwards. You know, they're running the ball. So like, yeah, I mean, they, John Gruden wants that guy. And right now it's Darren Waller. To the bad tight end before we get to rapid fire, Hayden Hurst goose on two targets, no catches, no yards. Another player that was poisoned by this Atlanta game against New Orleans that I thought was going to be a smash. And, and the few DFS lineups I made, I actually, and a lot of that was hinging on Marshawn Lattimore being out and, and maybe a, a close game with the unknown um, and Taysom Hill at quarterback for the Saints. But Julio was out with a hamstring for a lot of the game. Matt Ryan was just getting harassed. They had no run game, so there's no play action. And I think that played a huge part into Hayden Hurst's demise on Sunday last week. And that's kind of been the case all year. He's kind of a weird game scripty guy. When they're in games and they're hanging around and play action's available, Hayden Hurst is, is playing well and getting targets. When there's no play action, he's just out there running routes. He's one of the easier tight ends to cover. Not really worried about Hayden Hurst beating me if I'm a defense. Yeah, I'll make this short and sweet with Hayden Hurst because I feel like we've talked about Hayden Hurst so much over this season. This is just what happens. He either duds or he catches the touchdown and he's a relevant tight end just like every other tight end in the league. And when it comes to fantasy, he's still tight end 11, so you're going to continue to play him. But um, this isn't concerning. This is just something that happens with tight ends. Damn, Chase, nothing for... For Hayden Hurst, no love. All We've right. covered him so much. I mean, what else is there to <laughs> say? <laughs> this, this is sure. This is the tight end position. I think we talk about the tight end position every week yep. about how bad it is, and this is why we don't do this at tight end. This is why you don't draft tight end early. This is why mm-hmm. you don't spend on tight end DFS. It's why you don't do anything with the freaking tight end. Unless Can they catch a touchdown? Yes. 
Okay, then I can play anybody there. <laughs> the All right, two let's for do it. thirty-two and a touchdown gets you a top ten week, and we love to see it. And I'll go spend my money elsewhere. It's a turkey edition of Rapid Fire. Let's do it. Houston at Detroit, Thanksgiving Day, baby. Houston moves on to their next victim after making the Pats look silly last week. But despite how tasty this matchup looks initially, we have to remember Detroit didn't score any points last week against a mediocre Panthers team without Teddy B. There's no question Matt Patricia is coaching on limited time, but is there anyone in Detroit that we can play? The short answer is yes. You have to play Stafford, Hawkinson, and definitely Swift if he's out of concussion protocol. As for Houston, it's Watson, Fuller, and Brandon Cooks. The Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. Doesn't get more American than that on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Who wants to win the NFC East? Who knows? We're probably not going to know after this week. Uh, But the winner takes a half a game lead in the East over Philly. For fantasy, this is like cranberry sauce. Some people love it. Most people hate it. For Washington, Terry, Antonio Gibson is looking more and more like a league winning back. I'm starting those guys. For Dallas, start Amari, Zeke, and CeeDee against a decent Washington defense. Your game during turkey dinner or leftovers. Uh, Assuming they do clear COVID protocols, Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Dobbins and Ingram have the Rona, so enter Gus Edwards. It's a stingy matchup, but he is an RB2 off of volume. Yes, I'm still playing Omar. Yes to Mark Andrews. No, no, no to Hollywood Frown. For Pittsburgh, I'm comfortable with everyone. I wanted to say bench James Conner, but Baltimore has holes all over their D-line. Big Ben and the big three wide receivers all should top off a nice Thanksgiving day. Miami at the New York Jets, an AFC East matchup. Tua has been nothing short of, well, underwhelming to say the least. If you're an owner of Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki, you're low-key hoping for a Fitz magic start. That being said, against the Jets defense, you should be taking a shot with most. Outside of Parker and Gusecki and maybe Salvin Ahmed, I'm not playing anyone else. As per usual for the Jets, I'm not playing anyone except for maybe a flyer play in Brashad Perriman. Arizona at New England. They head out there for a wide receiver clash in Foxborough. That's right, DeAndre Hopkins versus Jacoby Myers. Hell yeah. For Arizona, I like Kyler Nuke and Kirk as my must-starts in this game. For New England, I like... I guess they like Damian Harris, who with Rex Burkhead out, we'll see more and more time and more workload late into the season. Can Sir Purr and the boys slow down Dalvin? Carolina at Minnesota. Teddy B is back practicing this week, so if he goes, or if it's PJ Walker, I'm comfortable with both, as well as the other pieces in Carolina in DJ Moore, Mike Davis, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson. For the Vikings, it's the usual plays. Dalvin, Thielen, Jefferson, and Cousins if you're desperate at quarterback. Cleveland at Jacksonville. Hey, we might actually get to watch a football game involving the Browns without shitty weather getting in the way. Then again, maybe the Browns needed this kind of weather to get to 7-3. and three. Regardless, with Baker most likely on waivers, and for good reason, the only starts here are Chubb and Hunt. Don't overthink this one. For the Jags, continue to roll out Robinson and DJ Chark until we say otherwise. Tennessee at Indy. The coronaviruses are rolling, but so are Phillip and the boys in an AFC South clash. Both coming off big wins, and this for the division lead in Indy. The Titans have to go with Ryan Tannehill as a start with Henry, A.J. Brown, and Johnny Smith. For the Colts, I'm going to say it. Start Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, and Naheem Hines in what could be another high-scoring game at Lucas Oil Stadium. Cincinnati's first game without Joey B as they play host to the Giants, and it makes you question how ugly this game could be. 
Although Cincy's D is bad, is there really anyone you're dying to play from the Giants? It's a decent spot for Daniel Jones, Wayne Gallman, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Darius Slayton. But I hope you have better options across the board. The Bengals, we downgrade Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins with Ryan Finley slinging it around, but they both still deserve spots in your lineup. With Joe Mixon out, Joe Bernard continues to be a serviceable RB2 or flex play. The Los Angeles Chargers take on the Buffalo Bills. In my opinion, it's the fantasy matchup of the week. You can't deny the Herbie Keenan connection is damn near unmatched. And when you include Mike Williams and Hunter Henry from time to time, this offense is firing on all cylinders. Just wait until Eckler comes back. It may just be this week. For the Bills, it's been fairly easy to decide who to play. I like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, or Cole Beasley if John Brown isn't playing fresh off their bye. Las Vegas at Atlanta. Raiders fresh off of heartbreak. Falcons living it daily. The Raiders played a near-perfect game on Sunday night, and I look for that play to continue down south. Vegas, I like Carr in a 2QB league. Jacobs, Waller, and Nelson Aguilar look good. For the Falcons, Matt Ryan, Julio if he plays, and Calvin Ridley are my starts. An NFC West battle. The 49ers head down the road to SoFi to take on the Rams. As I pose the question with the Giants, I'm not chomping at the bit to play any 49ers. Mostert should be back, but there's workload concerns there uh, in a stout matchup. Debo's practicing, and Ayuk projects to draw outside coverage from Jalen Ramsey. For the Rams, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are the only two plays. Higby continues to underwhelm, and the backfield is an absolute mess. The New Orleans Saints take on my Denver Broncos. All aboard the Taysom Hill choo-choo train. Personally, I'm not a Taysom Hill guy, but I get the appeal behind what many would consider the ultimate gadget player. It's good to know that they still plan on running him in the red zone because that may be the only way he picks up fantasy points. What's more surprising is how he's helped Michael Thomas emerge from the depths of our fantasy benches. Alvin Kamara is still an auto start, but outside those three, there's little to be excited about. Then there's Denver, and for them, I'm refusing to play anyone. Maybe Judy, maybe Fant. Unfortunately, there just isn't much fantasy upside in this offense with Locke as the quarterback. Kansas City at Tampa Bay, potential Super Bowl matchup? Huh? The golden boy meets his daddy in a heavyweight bout in the Bay. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. God, I can't wait to see SportsCenter on social media replay random plays from this game for a fucking week. Stardom. Everybody. Both sides. Just go all in. Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek, CEH, Brady, Evans, AB, Godwin, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. Highly hyped. Let's see if this game can live up to it on Sunday. Are you ready for some Bears at Packers? Chicago continues to look like one of the worst offenses in the league with Nick Foles in command. So the only play is Allen Robinson, of course, who should get all the attention from Jair Alexander. So low expectations there for the Packers. Keep it simple versus the Chicago D. It's the go-to big three. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones. Seattle at Philadelphia. Don't fret, Seattle fans. There's literally no way you could lose this game as long as Philadelphia continues to roll out Carson Wentz. Look, I'm sure he's not as bad as I'm making him out to be, but the fact of the matter is almost every one of his weapons is hindered by what he's doing right now. He turns the ball over a lot. We know this. That being said, I'll play Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard. For the Hawks, you already know what it is. It's Russ, Lockett, DK, and I'd mess around with Carlos Hyde if you're desperate as long as Chris Carson is out. Rapid fire, Thanksgiving style. Get Seattle's going to kick the piss out of Philly. In Philly. I bet, Never I bet you. I bet you Seattle wins 17 to 9. Oh, God. <laughs> they did it twice last year. You're right. 
Once in the regular season, once in the postseason. They're gonna cake them, man. I, and Carson's back. They're they're projecting Chris Carson to be back. Okay. So okay. I would I would smash that start. Um, yeah. If he's a go, Shaquille I, Griffin's back, I, and it's gonna be good. I expect that game to be like completely opposite from seventeen to nine as it was <laughs> two years ago. I feel like those two teams are just vastly different. We yes, were, we were jokingly. Lots changed in a year. We were jokingly off off air, you know, just messing around. Oh, it's a trap game. It's a trap game. No, it's not. We were just we were just fucking around with Kev. It's not. I mean, joke. it could be it's Seattle. I. I know. The moment we start talking like this is the moment they lose. <laughs> so I don't think saying that it's a slam dunk. Oh my god, it's just perfect, Russell. No, it's a slam dunk. Stop. It's a slam dunk. They're not gonna lose. There's no okay, way. Okay, we're they saying lose. that about their next four games. Then, <laughs> well, yeah, kinda. Because it's Philly, Washington, the Giants, and the Jets. Yeah, I think you, I think you should win all those. They're all games. gonna be close. This is the only game of those. Uh, that you've listed that I I would maybe be slightly concerned about, but I, I I'm really not worried about Seattle this week. Scanning here, Casey Tampa. That that's gonna be cool. I was giving it some shit. I just the media is gonna have a heyday with it. Like they're gonna oh, yeah. be shoving content down our throats till the Super Bowl, thinking that this is the ma- the Super Bowl's in Tampa this year. Could we get you put your boy I can't the, wait. The game, I, I love it when ESPN does that. I, I know it's weird, but I mean I think. If we're talking strictly fantasy, the Chargers and the Bills is going to be should should provide the most amount of points for for multiple players. Um, I like. I, I mean, Las Vegas is gonna is gonna clap Atlanta, no doubt about that. There's yeah, you know what? There's not that many appealing games this week. Tennessee Indy's interesting. Tennessee Indy, seven and three, seven and three. Yeah, yeah I feel like yeah. Are worse than their record, honestly. I, there's something wrong with Tennessee. There's something wrong with Indianapolis to me. Uh, like, like they're both seven and three. Neither, in my opinion, are even close to like being the best team in the in the AFC. Right? You know what I mean? They just feel like pretenders to me. Mm-hmm. One of them's going to come out of this game at eight and three, and that just doesn't just doesn't feel right. Baltimore's going to win that division, which feels weird. Host a playoff game. Philip Rivers hosting a playoff game after becoming the AFC South champs just doesn't seem right. I was shitting but. on their defense all year long, and and I have to take an L on that because they're clearly carrying that team, um, and have carried to the team that team to to the record now. So I'm interested in Baltimore Pittsburgh too. I mean, there's always the potential of of the Ravens figuring it out, but I think, I mean, last time Baltimore and Pittsburgh played. I, I, Pittsburgh looked superior in in more ways than one in that matchup. So that one's that one's exciting for Thanksgiving Day. I think that's the best game you get to watch for sure. You know, Houston Detroit's going to be gross, um, but should have a lot of fo- uh, fantasy points in that too. Right now, Raiders pick Colts, pick them. Oh, Thanksgiving it. Day, Turkey Day, pick them. I've got Houston, Washington, and Pittsburgh. Uh, Houston, Dallas, Pittsburgh. I yeah, I think I don't think yeah. Dallas is Dallas isn't that bad with, with Andy Dalton. That first game uh with Dalton was who was that against? I want to say Arizona. Um let me yeah, let me check. That's anyways, regardless, they looked a lot worse than like that offensive line was banged up. Dalton was bad as his first game. I think I think Dallas. His first game was against 
the Giants. The Giants. Oh, Bad. no, that's where he came in for a few snaps. His first that's legitimate right. game was Arizona, and he was 34 for 54, 266, two INTs, and one touchdown. So the football team won I 25 see, to 3. They won 25 to 3 a month ago. Yeah. But that's when he got he got blown up, right? Mm-hmm. That's when he got hurt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think uh yeah. I think I'm gonna go Dallas on this one too. I think that win was Lone Wolf. Maybe big for them in the sense that they feel like they can maybe have a shot at the division. I mean, they still do. So this is a big game. I mean, technically Washington. Everybody has a shot at the division. What are you talking about? They're all three and the, six the, and the, half a game or seven or whatever. That, that's what I'm saying. This this technically might be the biggest game of the week in terms of football and and playoff uh, potential in that division. Um, I'll, I guess the only other one is Baltimore Pittsburgh, which obviously Tennessee carries, Indy. carries some more weight. Yeah, and Tennessee Indy. Sure. Sorry, right, we got yeah we got four decent games and then everything else is kind of garbage. You know how to make bad games interesting? You throw, you throw a fatty on them. On the <laughs> you throw some money on the line. All right, that's the show. Uh, <laughs> good luck this weekend. Have a great Thanksgiving. Stay safe. We'll talk to you with you next week.